when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined on this week's episode uh, by Asad, who, listen, um, there's not a lot going on in the offseason, so we might be jumping the gun, but let's just look ahead to all the players um, and sort of go through each guy and what we expect of them um, for the upcoming season. So I think you and I both agree the most important player next season will be not Pascal Siakam, actually, but Kyle Lowry. First off, do you agree that Kyle Lowry is more important than Pascal in terms of just what happens next season? In him being on the team, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 part of it. Yeah, no, the fact of the matter is that, like, no matter how much Pascal improves next year, like, even if he stays as good as he was this past year, you can live in the regular season without having, like, a go-to Kawhi Leonard-style star if you have a point guard like uh, Kyle Lowry to run any five-man unit. Uh, I think the Raptors that set up have a lot of guys who are like plus role players to starter level guys who can from time to time create their own offense but are mainly just, you know, either elite finishers or, you know, uh, elite secondary or good at secondary playmaking. So really if... As long as you have that initiator in Kyle Lowry who can hit the spots and give you that two-second or half-step advantage on any play, you can really make everything go. And that goes for Serge Ibaka, that goes for Pascal Siakam, that goes for OG Ananobi, that goes for Norm Powell, uh, the only even Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Kyle takes a lot of pressure off of everybody and creates a lot of advantages that in the regular season especially leads to a lot of success. So yes, 100%, he is the biggest and most important person on the team next year in terms of what success will look like in the season. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, look, he what he averaged last year, 8.9 or 8.7 assists per game last season, uh, playing 34 minutes a game. That's a career high for him in terms of assists. Actually, nowhere close, really. has he, I mean, he's only gotten above seven like one time. So 8.7 was a very significant number. It was honestly even higher than that for most of the season until he sort of um, had his minutes cut down a little bit too. But I think honestly, you you just have to make a decision very early on. Like, um, are we going to keep Kyle? You know, in, in terms of a long term strategy too, because if you feel like Kyle Lowry is somebody who you want to keep around even after this season, just as like a you know a ancillary piece, maybe he starts next season, maybe he doesn't. But you know, you just you kind of have to make that decision earlier on, and you can give yourself an out and say, look, if everything goes to shit, then you can still trade Kyle to a winning situation. But um, for the most part, I mean. You kind of need to make that decision early on because, yeah, like I, like, I completely agree with you. Like, the offense is just not going to run without a playmaker. And that's the where, like, we can talk about – we'll talk about Fred in a second. But that's where I feel like if you just look at the rest of the guys, like, 
you know, Fred is not necessarily a great playmaker. And if you look at the shooting guard position, they're not just having a lot of plays made out of that spot. So it really comes down between Colin, Sergeant Bach, or and Marcus All for who can just make everyone else get in the right position even um, to, to even be in a good position to score. So Kyle's going to be very important. And the, the question with Kyle really is just like, which Kyle are we going to get consistently? Because last year he was sort of banged up. Went through like four months of the season shooting like less than thirty percent from three, and if that's the cow that shows up, then that's that's a bit more of a concern. But if he can stay healthy, um, and you know if he can hit a decent share of his threes, then you know I think we're looking at a very good Raptor team. But if he doesn't do that, then then some issues arise. Yeah, and I think part of it was injuries last year, but you could tell last year, especially in the the part of the season when he was healthy, the first part of the season when he was healthy, where the Raptors were basically booming in games. They had Kawhi in games. They didn't have Kawhi. They were booming. But you could tell in the games that where Kawhi played, it was a completely different type of Kyle Lowry where mm-hmm. there was zero aggression because he didn't really know where to play and where his like where his um, slants and his angles were going to be and when he'd be able to actually kind of push for the ball. Versus whenever Kawhi was out of the game. And that was most of the season, even when his shot wasn't falling. Anytime Kawhi was out of the game, it was still like, oh, this is a Kyle Lowry-led game. Like, even the worst example, I think I think the best example of it, and it's not a great example because it was such a crappy opponent, but Kyle had a horrid shooting night, and the team actually didn't have a good shooting night. And I think they were short Kawhi, and they were short one more key guy, I don't remember. And But Kyle, even though he shot like crap, led the team had creative fast break and initiated fast break consistently got pascal looks um and that was the phoenix game where pascal ends up hitting the game winner where kyle sets up the entire game for you he might not be shooting that well but he sets up the entire game keeps everybody kind of going you're in at the end of the game and then you look to somebody on the team whether that's going to be a pascal whether that's going to be Oh God, <laughs> that's going to be a norm. Oh um, man, <laughs> to create something Got off the dark. bounce or create something to to score. But that's the that's probably I think the minimum level that you can see with Kyle Lowry, where at least against fifteen to twenty of the thirty teams in the league, he can you know stamp a game without shooting it well. But for if you're going to rely on him for seventy games a season or at least sixty five, I think you can count on Kyle for sixty five games. Every what, season, because that's the, uh, the incentive number. I was going to say, what's the bonus? <laughs> yeah, that's the bonus. Just that bonus so... to like 75, please. Yeah, so as long as he's hit 65 games and you get like 45 of them healthy, that's like 30 That's like 30 to 35 wins right there, right? Like if you get yeah. 45 healthy Kyle Lowry games in a season, that's 30 to 35 wins right there. And then, you know, you eke out the rest of it, and you're looking at somewhere between 45 to 55 wins, depending on what the team structure ends up being, right? Yeah, I agree. I, and, and I know it sounds kind of high to people, but, like, again, we've seen Kyle do this Yo, with the Raptors with, like, way less talent. And I know Kyle was I know, younger at the I know time. We say but... that, I know people say that number's high, but, it, they're like, I actually went through all the teams in the league. Like, I literally pulled out last year's schedule, and I just counted the number of games against each team. And I looked at them this year, and I'm like, there are so many crap teams. Like, there are a solid, yeah. like, 12 to 13 teams the Raptors are just going to sweep the season series because they're that bad. And a lot of them are in the East. 
Yeah, and a lot of them are teams that so don't like, know how that, to play with each other too. That's the issue. Yeah, so that's twelve to th- twelve to thirteen teams that you're probably going to have a season sweep on. That's like thirty five wins. Yeah, no, that's like a good that's point. a lot of freaking games. That's a good point. So, yeah, so that's why like I think Kyle Lowry is the most important thing because at the end of the day, he's the one that raises your floor to a point where it's like all the pieces make sense. Because without Kyle Lowry, then all the pieces lack the actual minimum talent level to <laughs> to register, you know, like a five man offense that works. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like the Raptors could actually use a not another point guard, but just another playmaker. Um, Oh, they I, could definitely use another playmaker. I don't doubt that. I'm just saying that without Kyle Lowry, they the fall off is much deeper than with him. Yeah. Yep. For the uh, what seventh year in a row now, Kyle Lowry would be the most impactful Raptor. I guess Kawhi last year kind of uh, skirted that, but Kyle really is the uh, the wild factor every single year. Um, Pascal. So, what are we expecting from Pascal? Because I, if I look at it like this, right. If Pascal could have a season similar to what Blake Griffin did last year, which is asking for a lot. Blake Griffin was, I'm not sure if he made all NBA, uh, but he was like on that level and he was really I, good. I thought, he, I thought he made their team all NBA. Okay. So like an all NBA type of level of production, maybe Pascal makes it, maybe it doesn't. Um, but if you can sort of get that out of, Pas- that out of um, Pascal, then, you know, you look at the Pistons, they got 41 wins last year, which is not great. Obviously that's 500, but that's Blake Griffin with like trash talent around him. Like just, you know, no offense, Stanley Johnson. Now the young Raptors, you're cl- clearly a premium talent, but like, I mean, you know, the Pistons just were not very functional around him. And you give Pascal some actual functioning, supporting players, a, a really good player in Kyle, pretty good player. In Mark, you know, surge is pretty solid. And then you can maybe see that, you know, that baseline of 41 and you add on a couple more and you get to 50. I mean, first off, is it realistic to get to, for Pascal to get a season similar to what Blake Griffin did last year, or is that expecting too much out of him considering the fact that he's going to get double teamed like pretty consistently? And to, for the record, Blake Griffin last year, 24 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, 5.4 assists, shot 46% from the field, 36% from deep. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a far cry from what Pascal did in the playoffs. So here's what I'm going to say about Pascal. So Pascal can average that. 100% I believe he can average that. And the reason I think he can average that, just because he can average that doesn't mean that he can do that against, like, the elite teams in the league. Okay. And I think that's the difference. So here's the thing. Like, you look at the teams in the league and the players that can actually guard Pascal, right? We saw basically, we saw the teams that actually could guard him mm-hmm. in the playoffs, right? So you're looking at Philly. Yep. You're looking at Milwaukee. You're looking at Golden State with Draymond, kind of. And maybe Orlando Slider. He no, nah, he cooked Orlando. No, nah, he cooked right? Orlando. Yeah. So what other teams? What other teams are there that can kind of guard him? You know, Thad Young can probably guard him. What team does Thad Young play for now? He he does he? Oh yeah, no, he plays for the Bulls now. He plays for the Bulls. Yeah, that random. doesn't matter. <laughs> um, who else can guard Pascal? Like I went through the list of teams, and I'm like, there are like maybe eight teams in the league that you know have like good matchups for Pascal. To guard him, I mean, you could even up. just go through it. Like, if you just look at the Eastern Conference, Charlotte, no, Detroit, no, Orlando, no, Brooklyn. I mean, nah. When KD comes back, sure, but until KD comes back, were they guarding him with DeAndre Jordan? Yeah, it's a full year, so no. 
Indiana, no. Um, I mean, I guess Miles Turner could actually do something. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. But I mean, like the rest of the conference, like yeah, it's it's kind of a no. And then you look even look at the West, yeah. like yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the thing. I, the Clippers, I think the Clippers can guard him. The Lakers can maybe guard him. Anthony Davis can guard him. I don't think the rest of the team can. But like again, the Western Conference, you're only going to play those teams twice a season, mm-hmm. and there's maybe only four teams in the West that have guys that can match up and guard them. There's like eight teams in the league that have legitimate elite guys to guard him with. Where you're like, you know what, Pascal's going to have trouble on this team because he's going to have trouble with his one-on-one matchup, and then that's going to cause him trouble with the help. Against every other team in the league, we know that if he has Kyle Lowry and he can initiate a fast break for him, he's going to get 16 points easily out of fast break and semi-transition. And, and like then he doesn't have, and those stuff. teams just flat out do not have a player that can guard him in a one-on-one situation at all. And if you have Kyle Lowry on the floor and you have enough shooting with Kyle, Fred, uh, Serge, or Mark, uh, and OG, like just enough spacing, you're going to find situations where Pascal is going to, in quick hit looks, is going to just burn his guy because he goes that fast. So that's just based on his last year. Last, what he did last year near the end of the season mm-hmm. and we forget like he looked so much different near the end of the season than he did at the beginning of the season yeah right so even his average stats last year don't really mean much to me because i think he was on the higher end of those so that's where i think like this season from pascal you're gonna see him averaging those type of like all nba style numbers and that might not mean that he is all nba because he might not be able to do those against the elite elite teams because I think there's still like another year or year and a half for him to make a leap to be able to actually do that and develop the strength to be able to do that and develop the shot to be able to do that consistently. But against like 22, 23 of the 30 teams in the league, he's going to cook them. And I wholeheartedly believe that because his efficiency numbers, when Kawhi's off the floor, Danny Green's off the floor, Kyle Lowry's off the floor, like you can strong. keep taking consistent. Every time you take a starter off the floor, he's still shooting over 50%. His true shooting is still high. His three-point shooting is still above 33% at the minimum. In some cases, over 40. Like there was at no point was there a drop off. And in the games I looked at, he had like I think there were eight games or no, there was 13 or 14 games last season where he had over 25% usage rate. Um, which of course like. It's a flawed argument, right? Because like, if a player's doing well, he's going to end up using the ball more as well. But in the games that he had a high usage rate, um, whether like not the defensive rating means too much, but his defensive rating would hold up per NBA.com. And then also his like offensive efficiency stats were like at his season average or better consistently. So at the minimum, it shows that at a higher usage, he has shown the capability mm-hmm. to maintain efficiency. And I think in the regular season where teams don't have the time to game plan for him correctly, they're going to get caught off guard on switches, dealing with his speed. Like, he's going to do really well, I guess, against, like, at least two-thirds of the league. Yeah. So I definitely expect him to be an all-star because Tobias Harris is able to get all-star consideration, and right. Tobias Harris is nowhere close to the player Pascal Siakam is. Yeah, we saw them in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Tobias Harris was leading a Clippers squad in the West. Theoretically. Theoretically. Honestly, yeah, Gallo so, might have been better than him. Yeah. Which is why I think, like, Pascal has enough talent to cook a majority of the league. So he's going to put up great stats. He's going to perform well. And which is actually why I'm really high on the Raptors. Because, like, between Pascal and Kyle, their minimum talent level is, high, is higher than most of the other teams. And you know that the Raptors as a unit 
execution wise are going to out execute like the majority of the league, especially the Eastern Conference, and they play a lot of games against them. Yeah, for sure. Look, I'm looking for Pascal to well, a couple of things. One, if he takes another leap, I wonder what direction that leap is in. In terms of, is it in terms of playmaking? Um, because, and I don't mean playmaking is just like he gets doubled and he finds the open man. Because um, you can only get so many assists doing that, right? Like, I mean, like, playmaking in terms of, like, are we going to see Pascal run pick and roll? And is he going to handle the ball? And is he going to be able to make the right reads and get to the spots on the floor where he can be dangerous, force help, and then, you know, find the open shooter? If he can basically play a point forward role, I think he will have plenty of opportunity to do that this season to sort of just test his limits. And if he can do that, then that will be a huge break in his um in terms of his development, and I think that would change sort of how the Raptors should look at building and moving forward because he might be more of a small forward than he is a power forward or more of a center at least. I think realistically he is a power forward going forward. I think we know that, but who knows? I mean, it could be like a Giannis type of situation. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Giannis. I just mean like that kind of function. He can have that kind of effect. Um, So I'm interested to see that. I'm also interested to see like just like skill-wise, like what bumps up for him. Like is he going to be – a better shooter like is he gonna have um a, like a mid-range pull-up right like i'm not necessarily expecting him to pull up from three um although i would hope that he can stay consistent from the catch and shoot corners and things like that um but is he gonna have like a pull-up jumper because again that would also really go a long way in terms of him growing as a playmaker because if you can run pick and roll you can pull up then you know it just changes the way the defense guards you and um and yeah that's it that that you makes know. you just a more dynamic player right you go yeah. from being like a guy who a defense only has to look at like two or three things to stop you at. Like you can be really elite at two or three things, but if a defense can stop you at that, then it's like you can put up great stats. You can be super elite at it, but it just, it limits the like your like it, like not being dynamic on offense is what actually ends up hurting you in the playoffs. Whether that hurts you in the regular season that much, not really, but that's actually what hurts people in the playoffs is the players that aren't dynamic enough that can do multiple things at elite level. So like, that's one thing that we saw with Giannis in the playoffs, right? He's an elite player, clearly, and is very hard to stop. But if you can like at least slow down and stop like at some level the things he's very elite at, then that's when the glaring weaknesses come out. The same thing with Russell Westbrook. The things where he's very elite at, if you can slow those down, then the glaring the weaknesses accentuate themselves versus players that are like even across the board. Mm-hmm. Or are elite at multiple things. Like you're never gonna stop a Kevin Durant. There's literally no way to do it. Yeah. Right. And of course, these are extreme examples that we're using. But with Pascal, that's the thing. If you any once you develop an off the dribble game where you can have a jumper, it just changes the way you can what you can do in an offense. Because then you can be off ball or on ball, and now the defense has to look at guarding you in multiple ways. Right. Mm-hmm. They have to have help coverages for when you're off ball or you're posting up. And they also have to know where the helps are when you're on ball, and whether if they want to if he runs a pick and roll with this guy as a switch, is it are we trapping, are we hedging? You have like it just creates more coverages that people have to remember for a certain player, right? And that's what brings it. So that's I think the next role in him. And I've always thought the prototype for him was always Lamar Odom, right? Where you're this like power forward who's faster than most power forwards. Um, has a better handle than most power forwards. Um, and the one thing that Lamar Odom did really well and why he won a six-man of the year was that he was a good enough ball handler and playmaker that he could run a second unit. 
So once, like, so he could be like an elite role player on the starting unit, and then he could run the second unit to an above average efficiency. And the big things in Lamar's game was he could handle the ball, he could do basic, he could do reads out of a pick and roll, was a good passer, and he could hit a pull up jumper when he needed to. So he could hit a pull up elbow jumper, um, and he could get you a bucket if you, in a short clock situation, right? And that's always I thought. So that's kind of the prototype that I think Pascal is probably going to build to where you're a dynamic four. you don't have to be a stretch four per se but just a dynamic four. yeah and I, this is partially why i brought up blake griffin earlier in this kind of uh, you know comparison with pascal is that like blake kind of had the same trajectory obviously blake's is a very different type of player he was an elite finisher uh role guy obviously the athleticism was on another level even as compared to pascal but like you know, as his game aged and he sort of matured, I mean, he moved away from the basket and he developed his perimeter skills and he became a better playmaker. And, and there's just a lot of things that Blake Griffin's able to do to the point where now he's a very well-rounded scorer. And I mean, we've seen what Blake Griffin's done to the Raptors a couple of times. So I'm hoping to see a little bit of that from Pascal in terms of the sense of just, you know, it's the same thing as you, man, the playmaking. Um, it, honestly, it is just really hard to run a, a good offense through a you know, primarily post-up sort of player nowadays. But, like, I think the Raptors might have just enough pieces around them to sort of make it work because you look at a guy like Marcus Gasol, who we should probably talk about next, you know, he he enables a lot of that stuff. I think a lot of the reasons why post-up play doesn't really work is that, like, you know, you're running – I don't know. You're just – you're you're running a, a two-point shot, basically. It's going to be contested most times, and, like, chances are pretty good that someone will help and come from the blind side and strip the ball or contest a shot or whatever. And you, what you need in that situation is, you know, a very smart big man who can A, space the floor, so keep the, the paint clear, and also someone who can sort of get Pascal into good positions where, you know, um, just even just en- entering the ball into the post is sometimes a very difficult thing to do. And I think with Mark, like, it's almost the same thing with Kyle in the sense that you don't necessarily need him to score like 20 points a game or anything close to that, but you need Marcus Gasol to come in and just establish structure. I think, you know, there is a case to be made that you can like run a, an offense out of Mark. Like Mark can be the hub of an offense, but I think we've also seen that that's not necessarily the super um, efficient thing uh, based on what happened at the end of Memphis. But, you know, there are things that Marcus Gasol can do in terms of his playmaking, in terms of just his effect on the game where I, I think – especially with a younger team, you know, you're going to need a lot from Gasol in terms of just like, he's going to have to be an adult on the floor. He's going to have to help um, direct players into um, better spots. He's going to need to be a better passer or not a better passer, but just, he needs to be a great passer and, and enable guys like OG and Norm to play off the ball and cut. And, you know, if he can do all that and if he's not traded, um, you know, that would be a huge thing for the Raptors. What, what are you kind of expecting out of Marcus Gasol? Yeah, so what you just said, like where what we saw in Memphis out of him, like if you try to use him as an offensive hub, the biggest thing is when you try to be an offensive hub as a big man is when you have a high level of talent around you, you can you can be the offensive hub easily without having to be an off as much of an offensive threat because when like that because you're surrounded by higher level of talent, higher level finishers, they don't need as much um, they don't need as much room to you know use an advantage, right? So, like, Marcus Hall's decision-making is going to get you half a step or an extra step advantage, right? But now when you see a talent, like, you lose Kawhi and you lose Danny Green, who are elite decision-makers, elite finishers of plays, when you lose those two guys, now you have younger guys who are a little slower at making decisions, not as elite at finishing, even though they're effective, they're not elite. Now to create, 
like to create the same level of advantage as Marcus All, you have to establish yourself as an offensive threat. So you have to at least be able to, when you're running the elbow offense, make the decision like, okay, crap, I have to use this possession right here and just get a bucket. And if you can do that once or twice, then it creates more room for everybody else to play, right? Which is more important when you have a lower level of talent. Um, I personally think with Marcus Hall, like his biggest, like his the biggest thing that he can provide is just like helping ease the second unit a little bit when he's playing in mixed lineups. Because like again, like when you talk about Norm and you talk about OG, if you give these guys a whole season to kind of play with Marcus Hall and cut, because they're really good cutters when they yeah. do cut and they're dynamic yeah. finishers, right? Like those are guys; those are level of athletes that Mark didn't have in Memphis. So, you're hoping that like that would be a, that should be a good mix on paper. So I think for him that's the biggest thing. Like let's see if he declines, what he declines at, and where it's at. But I do feel confident that the one thing with Kawhi out, it'll give Mark a bit more um, reason to be more aggressive a little bit on offense, take more shots. Yeah. Like on our like he was averaging like four to seven shots per game depending on how the game went yeah there was like enti- i mean he, it was, was just like, crazy how much he was passing up shots like it was like yeah, beyond which is kind of like call level. And, and the one thing nick nurse said it was like yo i want to see you taking four to five threes a game yeah right and he's still only like maxed out like three at times which is like okay now we don't have Kawhi, so you don't have to keep deferring mm-hmm. you're actually one of the best three-point shooters we have now so just take the shot yeah and it'll be fun to see let's see if he takes the shot i don't know if he does Maybe he does, though. And I think it would be interesting to see how he reacts in that role. I do think that having a full season with him instead of having the half season, since now, if he does start the season, which he probably is, I think they are. I think they're going to start the season with everybody. They're not really going to be able to trade anyone until December 15th anyways. Yeah, the trade market right now is trash. So So if you know you're going to start the season, you know that you have a really good chance of starting at home in the playoffs. Like, this is not a bad team. Um. And you get a whole training camp with Mark Saul. I feel he'll feel more ownership on the team. Yeah. And if he and if he does show up and is taking that ownership and is engaged, then you're going to see something positive. The biggest problem in Memphis was anytime they'd go on a slight losing streak or they'd kind of fall out the playoff picture, he'd pout and like try to kill just, the coach. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, but for real, that's what happened. Yeah. So that's the thing. The one thing I do think is I just thought of right now is going to really hurt. Like, with Pascal always leaking out in transition, mm. the one thing where the Raptors really needed to use Kawhi was as a defensive rebounder. And now, when you have Pascal leaking out, and I think this will go when we talk about talk about OG, since he's likely going to be the three-man, right. is you're probably going to need defensive rebounding coming from your three and your five. Because I think that's what we did last year. We had our three and our five do the defensive rebounding because Pascal's leaking out right. and our two-man's leaking out, right? And then and Kyle, Kyle was great for that. As a rebounding freak was, was incredible. Because, yeah. and the one thing that Kawhi did, he was like he was the he ran the most. Like he, him, Pascal, and Danny Green were really good at covering ground. They were consistently running the entire game. Like Kawhi Leonard, he'll get a defensive rebound and still get down the floor before the defense because he just runs that hard, right? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a skill that, like, when we get to OG, that's the biggest point on OG is like those are the type of skills you need him to develop. Is like, yo, you're young, you got a lot of energy, you're an athlete. Use those skills. Um, yeah, I was going to say, the last thing we'll talk about with Gasol is I honestly wouldn't even mind if uh, he did a little bit of that Brooke Lopez thing where it was like, yo, I'm just going to – I'll am I'm, I'm, I'll shoot from anywhere. 
like I'll I'll take this shot, no problem. Like you know what I mean? Like just be a little bit too aggressive. And I just I only want that in the sense that like first off, it's really against Mark's nature. It would be literally the opposite. But um, especially in the regular season, like teams are just going to start jumping at you all game. And I feel like that can create an advantage for the rest of the team. Especially if we're expecting Mark to be a playmaker, if you if you just sort of establish like yo, I'll just shoot. And I can actually make a decent percentage. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that from Gasol. Let's let's talk about OG. So, you and I both expect OG to be in the starting lineup. I think if you just look at it, you need a guy on the wing that you can trust to guard the best players in the game. I'm not saying OG can necessarily do that every single game. Um, he's not on necessarily on that level yet. The consistency is not there, but the talent is definitely there. And if you look at the rest of the wing defenders, OG is the best of the bunch. And so, he should start. And I think... Maybe expecting him to um, have a Pascal Siakam type of breakout is a little bit unrealistic because I just don't know if he has the same type of skill set as Pascal does. But, I mean, for me, if if OG can have like a – honestly, if he can have like a Danny Green type of season where he scores like 10 points, he shoots 40% from three, um, you know, is solid finishing around the basket and, and defends really well and stays healthy for the whole year, like that is a huge win um, to me personally, I mean, you know, for you, what kind of role do you see OG filling? Is it going to be more than a three and D type of thing? I think it's mostly going to be a three and D. Th- I think the big thing is like you want to. So Nick Nurse was consistently very high on him whenever he talked in any interview throughout the season. So early in the season, before stuff started going down for OG, and even like mid season, he always was very high on him, and I, I believe that to not be complete BS. Because I think in the in our first season with OG, we saw like clear glimpses that when he got like a span of ten to fifteen games in a row, you could see it's like, oh, he's figuring stuff out. Like he knows, okay, he can make cuts here, he can do this here, he can do that here. Especially was when he was with the starting lineup. Yeah. Last season, things just fell apart. I don't want to do it. The one, the couple of good things that I'm gonna take from last season is, even though his three point percentage didn't show it, um, his three point shooting stroke like the new one that he came back with it was a lot tighter it was a lot faster and it looked a lot cleaner like his arm wasn't flying as much to the right as it used to be Mm -hmm. which is a which is a good development um i do think the biggest thing for him is again he's going to be in like a three and d slasher i think where it's like all right you know you're on the starting lineup you put him back in the starting lineup he has basically the same role he did the year before uh in his rookie year let's see if he can hit threes early on in the season and starts getting a little bit of respect there, then that's good. Um, and then I think the biggest thing is like his role in the second unit will be kind of just like, all right, let's see if you can run one pick a roll, pick and roll game. Yeah. And that all might right. just be a let's developmental thing. That might not necessarily be strategic yeah. for winning, but it just might just be, look, we're in a transition year. Let's see if OG has those kinds of chops. And I mean, maybe he doesn't, maybe he does. Based on what he did at Summer League last year, which I know is kind of a funny thing to talk about, but, like, he got a lot, a lot of usage as a pick-and-roll guy. I didn't really fully see it with him, but, you know, if he can have – if there's something there in terms of that, then, yeah, I think probably with the yeah. second unit is the best way to explore that. But the only issue is, like, and the it, second unit, like, there's just so little shooting, you know, and it's it's hard enough to attack one-on-one, but if you got help defense in the paint all the time because Rondé Hollis-Jefferson's in the corner being Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, then, like, you know, it's an issue. Yeah, but I think at the minimum he could become like a he can just become like an elite dunker spot guy. Okay. Like why like like if that could be a new tw- like wrinkle in his game where it's like he's just gonna be a guy who's going to stand three point line, 
make a sharp cut to the dunker spot on like a pick and roll as the third guy and just be that dunker spot guy where he catches and quick hop up because you know he has a quick 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 jump yeah i mean he consistently so, jumped, dunks with two hands uh, yeah. from a standing position which is really confusing i don't know why he gets it always dunks two-handed but yeah don't mind it um he loves yeah, dunking that's, reverse think, too never seen a guy go reverse yeah. so often for no good reason but he loves doing it yeah yeah i don't i i'm still high on og personally same, um same. because I, I think we and i think the biggest thing is if when we see him at the three and this is the biggest thing that we'll see is a lot of you'll see when you look at highlights for og in the season especially defensive highlights is when he's guarding on the wings or he's guarding up um, above the three-point line because he's really big and he has really good hands at intercepting that cross yeah. pass. He's re- he's always right? in pretty and, good position to yeah away so, from the ball and to when poke he's the in ball. The, and again, in his first season, he was a, he was playing the three. Last year, we had him playing backup four. This year, we're going to have yeah. him playing three because we filled that backup four spot at least with you know Rondé Hollis Jefferson. He should be able to fill those minutes. So you should be able to play OG a lot more at the three, which is going to allow him to be in those those areas defensively rather than right. in like the friggin' post and in the mid post. I think that's the one thing that's, that's going to benefit him because they'll get him out in transition more and it'll put him in a better spot when the ball comes off the rim for him to get out in transition. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think OG's game is pretty straightforward though. Um, like I don't think there's too much more to talk about with OG with Norman Powell. That's the I mean. Shooting guard is going to be a little bit of a tricky situation. Might be fluid all season. Might see people come in and out. It wouldn't be a surprise to see Norman Powell sort of be inconsistent. But look, I think I just want to say we might groan be a lot some about reason. like Norman Powell. What's that? We groan a lot about Norman Powell. Like we do groan like the, as a fan base a lot about Norman Powell. But like yeah. last season, he was solid. He might have been inconsistent, but he was solid. He, like he, he scored, shot the ball really well. Yeah, he, oh, he 48% overall from the uh, from the field, 40% from three. The three-point shot actually doesn't look that bad. Like, you know, like, when you, throughout the playoffs and stuff, like, I was able to, like, just go and watch people shoot around and stuff. And as much as it's just shoot around, whatever, like, you can tell who's a good shooter, who's not a good shooter. Like, I'm not – it's not like Siakam is significantly better of a shooter than Norm. Like, Norm's pretty good. He's, like, pretty yeah, automatic. three-point percentage. Like you have to realize, a lot of like he has a steady number of misses that are included that are just from like like second unit late shot clock. Yeah, a norm do something at the top of the key, right? Those the grenade people, shot. I don't know yeah. what he shoots above the break off the head, but like I know that's like that's the most obvious miss that comes to my head when I think Norm Powell missing a three. Mm. Five seconds dribbling top of the key late shot. <laughs> that exactly. that long crossover, so, like, the defender just stands in one place, and Norm's like, all right, I guess I got to pull up. So, yeah. And you can and. And I think you can complain as that as a fan, but the end of the point, if a possession's gotten that point, that's just a bad offensive possession from the team, or it's a good defensive possession. By and you have to kind of just chalk that up. Mm-hmm. And who do you want the ball at that point? You give it to your most dynamic guy. And by all means, Norm is generally one of the most dynamic players on the floor, just because he's able to do stuff off the bounce. Right. Whether he's effective at making the shot or not, he can get a good look off. Like he can get the shot off cleanly. So I don't I don't worry too much about those misses as long as like he's better at in the flow of the offense when you have run good offense that he's making the right decisions then which is usually the 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 crux with him yeah look okay th- this is this is the hopeful case for Norm, for Norman Powell having a great year or at least a breakout year of some sort all right because you look at it his, his overall career so far with the Raptors. Um, you know, kind of inconsistent. He's obviously incredible heroic moments, especially in the playoffs. But 
you know, that sort of level has not necessarily carried over the regular season. But you look at it first year, I mean, he's a rookie, he's a second rounder. Um, the fact that he's even playing with the team after, you know, being with, uh, in the G League and starting a couple of games and also, you know, in the playoffs when he stole the ball off Paul George and stuff like that, like, that's amazing, right? And he, for by all accounts, he had a pretty good rookie season. Second year, he's with the second unit. That was the year where the Raptors ran, like, iso ball, like, super heavy. I felt like 2017, the Raptors, it's just the ball movement wasn't quite there. Um, and he was basically shutting in and out of the starting lineup because Damari used to get hurt all the time. That he would start for Damari, he'd be good. I thought that was a good year for Norman Powell in 2016, 2017. Uh, 2017, 18, he was, you know, he was battling OG for that starting three spot. He loses it. He goes to the second unit. He has some minor injuries. He basically has OG's year from last year in terms of just he never gets a rhythm. He never really gets a consistent role. And he gets sort of lost in the shuffle. And then last year, I mean, like, he just had to, like, fight. There's a lot of games where Norman Powell would get, like, five minutes a game. And, like, C.J. Miles, he had to beat him out. Of course, C.J. Miles playing terribly was not necessarily too hard to overcome C.J., but C.J. was ahead of him in the pecking order. DeLon was ahead of him in the pecking order. All those guys go. And I think throughout the year, you see steady improvement in terms of Norm Powell, in whatever role he was in, he was steady and he was consistent, which is something you just never saw from him. So if you can get consistency out of Norman Powell, and I think – in the starting lineup, he's going to be empowered to take more types of shots. But I also think that, you know, him playing with the starters gives him more of a structure to play with. you got Kyle serving you the ball and you got um, Gasol. And I think Gasol probably had the best chemistry with Norm in, in the sense that, you know, it's just a big guy who can screen for him, let him go downhill and then space the floor. And that's exactly what Norm Powell needs. So I can f- see a scenario where Norm, under these circumstances, um, is actually a pretty you know solid starter. Uh, it would be a big yeah, jump like, for him to do it, but like it's not inconceivable. We're not talking like he's gonna he's got to like yeah. grow a th- third arm or some shit, you know? Yeah, like Norm Norm played 19 minutes a night last last season, had like a 60 percent true shooting percentage, and like he had a assist rate. It was like his highest assist rate ever. It was like 11.6. So you show some improvement of being on ball. Um, and the biggest thing with Norm is like his efficiencies rose, right? Yeah. Like last year, he took he went from like he's taking like basically he only takes shots at the rim or from three. So forty like last season he basically completely took out any of those mid range elbow jumpers. So now he takes thirty eight percent of his shots are within three feet, and then forty three percent of them are from three point range, and the the remaining ten percent is like three to ten. He doesn't take any shots outside. So he takes he has a good shot like a shot distribution. And I think the biggest thing that he showed was like last season he showed he can really start finishing at the rim better. Like he, last season was his best yeah. season finishing at the rim. He shot 62% of the rim. So and he shot and the big jump was he shot better from the 3 to 10 distance. So like 2 years ago when he had a good season he shot 35% from 3 to 10 feet. The year the year before, where he had a poor season, he shot 42% from 3 to 10 feet. Last season, he shot 51% from 3 to 10 feet. So inside 10 feet, Norm Powell shot over 50% from the floor. What do you think? That's like a floater Which game? Which is like 40% like, of shots. What do you, what do you think yeah, that so is? that's that little bit of floater game. He's getting that little bit of Euro where he yeah. can kind of make a move in the paint. And the big thing that kind of shows is like I, whenever I see that 3 to 10 percentage go up, it usually means either you've like developed your like in-between game a little bit or you've gotten stronger as a wing where yeah. you can kind of take a bump and still follow through and finish, right? That used to be a big problem for him. So those are – Because he used to get bumped off his so shot so easily. Yeah. Yeah. And he also shot 47% from the corner three. 
Yeah, that's that was surprising. Like, but again, like, yo, he can shoot, man. Like, he, I know it sounds crazy. Like, I just don't think of Norma as a consistent shooter, but like, he can shoot. He can, he can make shots. He's confident. And he'll actually take the shot, which I think him actually willing to take shots with the starting lineup with the with the, the team this season, like that is important. I don't expect too much in terms of playmaking, in terms of just passing for others and things like that. But you know, Norm, buddy. The faith is back. Remember when? Um, remember when the Raptors had to re-sign Kyle Lowry, and it was Demar Derozan and Dwayne Casey in uh, the 2017 NBA Finals, and they were joined by Norm Powell, and that was the recruiting pitch for Kyle to stay. <laughs> I just, I don't hey, think yo, they bring the Norm Powell like, anywhere like, now. Norm, the Norm Powell, the reason I can, can, you can continually keep believing in Norm Powell is like he showed strides as a defender last season. Like he's shown at least at the minimum that he's willing to get better. And he's willing to get a little smarter on the floor. We're like, he still makes a lot of mistakes, but like, it's been considerably less since the last two seasons, at least I feel. Mm. Then I feel like he's getting to the point where it's like, all right, like we might be getting close to like the ceiling on Norm Powell, but the ceiling of Norm Powell might just be like a very good starter. Yeah. And look, right? if he could just extend like, his usage, then yeah, no one, we would actually think of him as a very good starter. But. Because realistically, you know, Norm, there's no reason for Norm Powell not to be able to develop into a Danny Green type. They have a lot of the same. They're about the same size. They both have plus wingspan. They both are bow-legged, which is, you know, <laughs> just is what it is. But Norm, the type of shots Norm started taking last season, and one of the biggest things Norm said, he's like, he shadowed Danny Green a lot. Mm-hmm. Where he was like, he saw Danny Green. He's like, I, like he saw the, like, the niche that Danny Green made for himself in the league. He's like, you know what? I can do this. Mm-hmm. So... There's no reason like that's I think the best case scenario for Danny Green, uh, for Norm Powell is that he gets to that like becomes a Danny Green level player across the board and I believe I personally believe he can do it I don't I think there's enough positives with Norm where you can just you can believe in that yeah uh, and like you've seen him do it the thing is like my biggest thing is like if you can see a guy like you see glimpses of him in the regular season and then you can also see glimpses of him those same glimpses in the playoffs then you know that guy can do it yeah. Yeah, so then it just becomes a consistent thing, cons- and then you have to get like clutch like 18, 19, 20 point games in the playoffs, man. Like, it takes a high skill level, it really does. And I guess good teams, like, it's like I, he finds a matchup where he, like, biggest thing with Norm is he just needs to know what he needs to do against the defense. Yeah. And as soon as he figures out what the defense is and he knows what his reads are, he becomes comfortable. And then you see this player who just looks like, oh my God, he's so freaking good. Yeah. You know, it's actually- that's the biggest thing with any player, right? It's like, it's almost comforting, man. It's it's not just like with the, all young players. I think it's like in any young, young profession, really. Like, yeah, you know, as a young guy, like you don't really know what you're doing most times, and you're just not efficient with your time. And as time goes on, you know, you figure out what you're supposed to be doing. You, you get into a role, and all of a sudden, you start becoming way more productive. So it's not even just basketball. I feel like it's like that with everyone else. Uh, if you look at the bench, um, a yeah. couple of these guys. The thing with Fred is like I actually don't think there's too much to say about Fred because I think he's kind of already at the ceiling. Um, maybe he can sort of extend himself as a starter. I can see him starting for a lot of teams just because they have bad point guards. But I don't see Fred necessarily as taking the leap to be. He's like a like a Darren Collison level type of starter. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he takes he has another two kids or whatever, and he's like you know Steph Curry level. <laughs> but like I think he's like a Darren Collison level type of starter where they're, you're comfortable starting him, especially on a team with more options. But you know he's not necessarily like an all star kind of caliber kind of guy, but I think really with Fred is just he needs to be steady. He needs to be better in terms of just playmaking with the second unit. And I think maybe um, 
having a more consistent rotation is going to help him because I think last year it really did hurt that he was, you know, different players coming in and out um, didn't really suit his game. Also, he was dealing with injuries. So if you can have a healthier year and also just be a better playmaker, I think that's going to be a big jump because I don't think he's going to take a huge jump in the scoring or whatever. Like he could take more shots and he could score more that way. But, you know, he kind of is what he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, and with Fred, the biggest thing is the same with Kyle, but to a lesser extent. It's like, as long as Fred's shot's working, it opens up his entire game because he's a small yeah. guy. Yeah, exactly. So if his shot's working, like, his entire game opens up, and then it's like, okay, this guy's really good. But when his shot's not working, that's where you start seeing the struggle, and that's where you see the limitations of his playmaking, really, because, like, he'll run a pick and roll, yeah. and he just misses the early bounce pass. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that he can learn is that early bounce pass because Kyle yeah. Lowry is so freaking good. Like, if you just go, I, I, there has to be a highlight tape of just Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka picking pick and rolls, like picking pops, like the short rolls. Yeah. Yo, Kyle's passing and that ball before Lowry, Ibaka even Kyle moves Lowry's off the screen. Down. Like Kyle Lowry, as a passer, I think his like chest passes and like his lead passes are actually not that great. He's pretty off target <laughs> a lot of the times on the lead passes where he overthrows guys. Mm. But his bounce passes are freaking incredible. Because he's able to leverage being low to the ground, so he's able to get the ball to the floor faster. Than his defender, yeah, like his feet are set and he can get the bounce pass off, and that's the one thing I think Fred can learn to better do is just setting up your feet. So that's the one thing I, I I'd like to see an improvement out of Fred is like yo, just if you can improve like that, like you can create better margins on your passing, mm-hmm. then you'd be good. I do think like as long as his thumbs are healthy, he's a really good freaking shooter. He is an amazing shooter, man. I'm telling you, he was like, like right behind Kawhi and Danny for most automatic in terms of just like in the. In warm-ups and stuff like that, he, this man shoots well. Yeah, because that's how he broke onto the starting lineup. Like after Delon went down, like people kept trusting him, and I think for the first three weeks he couldn't hit a shot. And then it was like, oh yeah, this guy's a freaking automatic three-point shooter. And yep. he just like, because he's like, he he doesn't get he didn't get many corner three looks last season when he was running the second unit because it was always a jumble. Yep. But he's like an elite corner three shooter. That's why he, he can hit that the, in the two-point guard lineups. Like he's basically. A shooting guard in that situation, and he's much better in that role. And I think that's honestly why you can probably see a lot of Fred. Like he's not going to start, um, but he's going to finish a lot of games. I think that's almost yeah. a guarantee. And honestly, I'm, with all these role player guys, I'm just hoping that championship confidence becomes a thing with them. And that's usually what happens to a lot of players. It's like you get once you get championship confidence, you just like it really it becomes really hard to shake you. Like where you can become J.R. Smith, mm. where like oh yeah, I've missed like for ten straight games, but oh I'm just going to douse this team. For seventy-seven percent three-point shooting over four games and sweep them. Yeah, too soon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's honestly an ongoing fight right now. I think people are just bored in the offseason, but there's a fight right now going on yeah. between Bucks fans and Raptor fans uh, over, I guess, o- over uh, Giannis, future Raptor Giannis. So, um, yeah, but it actually is funny when you look back on the history of the Bucks. The Raptors really do own that franchise. I can't believe we were that worried about a. Uh, Playing the Bucks in the playoffs. I mean, damn. We sunned that team. <laughs> like, before, Bro, before like the Raptors the- swept them this year, it was uh, three straight. And that was with DeMar and Corey Joseph and, uh, and uh, what's his name? And, and Patrick, yeah. Patrick Patterson. Like in a Bucks raptors series, after Giannis, how many Bucks players are now better than Norm Powell? I mean, yeah, I mean, Norm Powell in a Bucks series is, you know, is a different player, so. Buck Hunter, baby. Buck Hunter. Um, 
in terms of the rest of the reserves, okay, Surge, literally there's nothing to talk about with Surge. We know exactly what Surge is going to do. It's cool. If they trade him, whatever. If they don't, um, he'll he'll make the team eat beef penis. But like, he's going to be there. He's going to do his thing. There's nothing to talk about with Surge. Um, the two newcomers then, uh, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, Stanley Johnson. What kind of roles do you envision for them? Because if you look at some table of these guys, like – there are games where they are very, very dynamic, and then there are games where they kind of disappear. And so it kind of makes it hard to sort of nail down what types of roles these guys should do, should play. So um, what you got for those two guys? So Stanley, I think, is going to be like not last season norm, but the season before norm, where it's like either he's playing like five minutes or less in a game or he's playing 18 minutes. That's it. Like it's okay. one of the two. He, like he short leash, he gets in there for a quick burst, if anything. If he's doing stuff that's good, he keeps playing. If he's not, he gets out. That's basically the top of, like, Stanley Johnson that I see, wow. right? His biggest utility is going to be, like, if there's a big wing that you need, that he can match up with really well, you put him out there to play defense and then just, like, hope he's making right decisions on offense, which isn't bad. Like, I'll be honest, his off-the-dribble game, like, he it's does a decent. little bit better than OG, but he, well, he, he I don't Well, he definitely really could care. dribble the ball basketball better than OG. Yeah. He just can't finish the same step, way. Not a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's, I think, the top from. We don't need to expect too much more than them. Like, if he's playing 10 minutes a game, that's probably fine. Because he's just going to be a marginal starter. At best, like, let's see if he can be a really good cutter around Gasol. Who knows? Um, with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I think he's probably the guy who's going to play more minutes. Like, he'll be around 15 to 20, maybe. Okay. Um, depending on how much Pascal plays. I think Pascal, Serge, and Gasol are going to take up like most of those big guy minutes and we're going to go small more often but against most teams Rondé Hollis Jefferson like he could probably play 18 to 24 minutes yep um maybe that might be the high end but with him again it's the same thing you just he would be the defensive rebounder i think he would be the guy you yeah, kind of plug true. in when you're like okay we're having a lot of trouble defensive rebounding plug him in let's see like if we can shore that up and then you're hoping for transition i feel like anytime you have a Rondé Hollis Jefferson lineup that's those are the those are the lineups where you want Kyle or Fred really pushing the ball and you get like cheap buckets because then you know your defense is going to be good enough. And if you get like three to four cheap buckets in a five to six minute stretch, that means your offense was efficient enough and you're good to go. Right. Yeah. So I think that's kind of it. I don't like I don't actually believe in either of them are going to shoot that well. No, that no. feels kind of do. I honestly like, it's not think like Ron, Ron where you've seen them shoot at a high clip. It's like, no, these guys, I've never seen them shoot at a high clip. And Rondé House Jefferson, my Muslim brother, I love you, but Yo. <laughs> that shot looks terrible. Like, <laughs> even when it's going in, it looks bad. I just, yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, I, I, hopefully, I agree, you know, man. I, I honestly, I, with Rondé, I, I, I think he just has a more defined role, right? So, like, it's a little easier to sort of put yeah. him in because he's consistent. He's going to give you energy. He plays above his size. His hustle is crazy. Um and he honestly, he just kind of stumbles into scoring. Like he's not necessarily a smooth scorer, but then you look at it, he's he's had a year where he's you know two years ago he averaged like fourteen points a game, and it's not like he was super skilled doing that. It was just like he works so hard, his activity level is so high, he gets an offensive glass. He just it's almost like a pass. It's like a very diet Pascal kind of game. And so if he can do a little bit a, of that, like he's a really good dunker spot guy. He's like yeah, Ben exactly. Simmons Perfect. without like the elite playmaking. He's basically Ben Simmons, actually. <laughs> oh man, Yo, relax. <laughs> ben Simmons yeah, making no. and, oh, yeah, just, just to talk about just to talk about Serge real quick. I one hundred percent believe we're gonna get like Lake like you know what Serge did to the Lakers? We're gonna get that against like fifteen of the thirty teams in the league. Yo. Because oh. that's how bad they are. 
Yo, come on, man. Like, Surge, Surge, <laughs> come on, dude, man. There are like, there are only so many teams that can stop like a Surge short roll. Like, mm. he's literally elite at it. It's, so, like, you just put Surge out there with Kyle Lowry, you let him play with Kyle more. It's like, okay, easy bunny 15 points. You know what Surge is bringing you with Kyle Lowry if he's getting high minutes with him. Yeah. Yeah, but that, like that's the only issue, Surge though, because, like, how much is Surge actually going to play yeah. with Gasol or with, uh, with Lowry? Because Gasol's probably going to start, you know? I feel like. Or maybe it, you move like one of those guys. Who knows? Dependent. In the regular season, it's going to be a lot more matchup dependent where they'll just keep. They'll flip Gasol and Surge more. Word. I do personally believe that. Because, like, yo, they're going to play lineups where, like, Mark's clearly not going to be the quick start. Maybe they do, like, the Philly thing where you play Mark the first four, six minutes and then you swap him out for Surge, right? Bro, no, come on, man. Even at 35 years old, Marcus Law has more stamina than Joel Embiid because that's the only reason they make that sub pattern. No, but it's not, it's Embiid not much needs a, to it's not much a stamina thing. It's much just like a utility thing, right? Yeah, I guess. And again, I think the one thing Mark said last season when he joined was one of the things that came out was like Mark realized he accepted that he was like, okay, it's not, it's not like it's not my role anymore to play 35 minutes a game, like yeah. that level of minutes. And I forget who said that. It was I forget what report that was, but that was one of the things. Like when Mark came, when they talked to Masai, talked to Nick, they were like, I he understood that. I think it was Nick Nurse in one of the interviews. It might have been the Woj interview or whatever, mm. where he said Mark kind of understood that like he's not that he it's not his time to be a thirty. Like he was okay with not being the 34, 35 minute guy anymore. Yeah. Which is good because when he gets when his legs get heavy, yo, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So out of the rest of the guys, I think that's sort of your set nine man rotation. There's a couple more guys that may or may not make an impact. We don't expect them to be in the rotation consistently. But out of these following names: Pat McCaw, Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas, and let's throw Chris Boucher in there just for fun. Out of those four guys, which of them do you feel like has the best shot of averaging the most minutes? Um, Because there's a case to be made for each okay. of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Early on, I'll say, okay, so the clear favorite is probably Pat McCaw just because he's the most veteran of the guys okay. and has already played with the team, probably understands the sets better. Um, but really, Pat McCaw's only there for, you know, it's a lucky charm. Uh <laughs> But uh, I, I personally, I'll be honest. I'm Terrence Davis Hive all the way. Yeah, one hundred percent. Me too. I just, man. I just I really like, like his energy. I think, I think his energy is going to come out a lot, and I feel like he's going to be the guy. Like he's going to be the guy where it's like when we were blowing out like the Hornets by twenty. In the, you have to play the entire fourth quarter. Terrence Davis is going to go out there and score like ten points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, against that, that team during a blowout. That's the shit Fred used to do, man. You know. Yeah. What I mean? So like, I feel like that's. That's where it is. So I personally really like Terrence Davis just because he's long and I think he fits the size where Norm is. So, like, in theory, you need a backup shooting guard. Someone has to play backup shooting guard, right? So that might be the backup shooting guard, right? Yeah. Um, Matt Thomas, I have no idea. I personally don't. Like, I saw, like, clips of him. I was trying to figure out, like, he's a really good shooter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if his speed is there. I want to see what he looks like in NBA speed. Yeah. Like in terms of running around picks, I feel he's a little slow. Um, so he might be more Capono ish than JJ Redick ish, but Yikes. you know, we'll see what happens. Like even like the Lakers summer league stuff I saw from a year or two ago. Again, like you can get faster in a year or two, right? But Yo, that was a very lit summer league too. I'm not yeah. I love that summer I'm league. I'm just too. not 
Yeah, I'm just not totally sold on Matt Thomas, but he's gonna shoot lights out when he's out there. Let's see what he does. You know, he could he could be a guy that you just throw out there for like a set or two, and maybe he hits a three. He could be like a Jody Meeks. Who knows? Like a Steve Novak. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. thing, it's weird to sign uh, a Steve Novak type to a three year deal. But I mean, it's essentially like you're t- you're taking one as an un- undrafted rookie. I mean, he is an yeah. undrafted rookie. So and then, you know, yeah. And then who's the other guy? Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher. No shot. Yeah. I'll be honest. I love Chris Boucher. He's not cracked the rotation, I don't believe. Uh, but, yo, he's going to be fun. He'll still hit those Boucher three. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, there might be less opportunities for him to get those off, but, I, you know, there'll be games against the Wizards. He goes off for three threes in the fourth quarter. Why not? Hmm. I think Boucher is going to yeah. try to run up some guys during camp and really try to make the case. But yeah, it, it, the path to him being a consistent NBA player is just it's just hard to sort of make out. But I mean, he's so close. You know what I mean? Like he really is. Like yeah, I think like, like he's the literally really, the G League MVP. With him you know? is like, he just feels a little slow, and he feels like like he just doesn't have a strong enough dribble, or he's not strong enough because mm-hmm. he's not big, big, right? He's not like seven feet tall. I think he's like six ten with really long arms, right? Yeah. And he has no frame. So he like he looks like the size of a small forward at times. Like he's like that guy should probably play small forward, but he moves like a like a like a center power forward, right? Yeah. Which is tough. So if you like his is also a thing, it was like if he was more coordinated, then yeah, maybe. But he's like a set shooter. I don't know too much about that. But yeah. I like Malcolm Miller personally, but Malcolm Miller again looks Miller. small a lot of the time, so unfortunate but Malcolm Miller can shoot the ball yeah kind of yeah. I mean he can he can he can he's right. got a pretty shot that's all I know I don't know about make percentage but he has a really pretty shot I yeah. like his shot I agree uh, it's really it looks, nice it's very down, smooth very square yeah but yeah yeah I mean yeah I agree with you man Terrence Davis uh, it's so anyways, I mean, I'm gonna say it on the pod right now um Raptors are gonna be the two seed in the east two okay so like, um, how we're gonna because Milwaukee's definitely one. They're a great regular season team. I just think one of Milwaukee or Philadelphia is going to deal with injury issues that are going to screw them. So Philly then. I think so I think like there's a case to be made Milwaukee could easily have a down year. Um okay. I think like just like after guys get contracts, it's just more likely to have a down year. Maybe like Brooklyn, they take a lot of high variant shots and they got like very high end of Brooklyn Lopez last year. Maybe they get low end of Brook Lopez for a stretch this year. Um, they're still going to burn a bunch of games just because Giannis can win them games. But again, Giannis only plays 34 minutes a game. 
So, like, yeah. I can totally see Milwaukee suffering. I can see George Hill having a, like, degrading back to what he used to be easily. Like, that's their point guard or their backup point guard. Like, Eric Bledsoe, he's had a lot of knee issues in the past. Um, we've seen him become ineffective at times. Let's see what happens with him. Like, is his shot really consistent enough to keep going? So, Milwaukee, I think, clearly has issues where Brogdon used to really fill holes. Okay. I would so argue that their I, system is I so... Like for the regular season wise, yeah, like their system, system is, is so solid and everyone is, like, is so like their system is proof yeah. that they can do it. But I just feel like there's a case to be made. Milwaukee, I think, is likely going to be the first seed. I agree. But I, agree. I can see a case for them falling out where they or maybe or like a case where they kind of measure the regular season a bit more to try and play for later. Yeah. Um, Loki, that team is a little bit old too. Milwaukee's kinda Philly, old. Philly, I, yeah, and Philly is the one team I don't really get the complete hype on. Because, like, people are like, well, Horford's there, so now you can uh, load, manage, and beat. I'm like, okay, you're going to load, manage, and beat, but that means you are then, like, losing a talent piece. Their biggest advantage is, like, we can put out the biggest and most talented five, and then we don't have to worry about our bench. Well, if you're going to load, manage one of those guys, then um, you're creating problems you all over lose them. that advantage, A. Yeah. And B, it's like they don't have any shooters. They literally don't have any shooters. Like, their best shooter is basically Al Horford. Ah, Tobias. Tobias can shoot. Like, they're relying they're – re- Okay, yeah, Tobias. <laughs> they're gonna they're relying heavily on Tobias Harris. Like, I hope they never have to need they never need late game offense. I'm very honest with you. Yeah, I was gonna say who's gonna create a shot because the they're the game? they're. I'll be honest. Their best late game option is Al Horford. <laughs> that little post up that Maybe he does. Josh Richardson. No, come yeah, on, it's like not Josh Horford, Richardson, bro. No, no, no Horford, it's it's Al Joel Horford, Embiid getting a post up. No, it's Al Horford doing the JV move where you catch at the elbow, fake a handoff, and drive. That's their that's their late game offense. He used to cook uh, Kevin Love with that in the playoffs, and then lose to Kevin Love. <laughs> <laughs> because like, who are the three point shooters? They got Josh Richardson, who's not actually that good of a three point shooter. You have um, James Ennis, who again, nah, man. hit or miss three point shooter. That's a that's a rich like, man's core brewer. And then oh, and then Mike Scott. Mike Scott is really good against the Raptors. There yeah. you go. You have Mike Scott. Yeah, he's gonna play that's like twenty six games too. That's yeah. their entire team. Like oh, I don't, and, I don't get the hype behind it. They're gonna have to play slow. Like in the lineups, they have Horford and Embiid. Yeah. Like they're gonna have to play slow. It's gonna be grind out basketball. And then like, whenever if their offense possessions slow down, like you're really counting on Brett Brown to create a really tight offensive yeah. system for them because they need. A, they don't have initiators. Yeah. They don't have anybody off the bounce outside of Tobias Harris. Like that's what I'm saying. They don't have I, guys and, who dribble the basketball, man. Like who on that team and we've dribbles? Seen Horford and, and we've seen Horford and Embiid get hurt every single season. Yeah. Now that team doesn't make like, any sense. Like, what are we doing? Me, like, I, I, that team, uh, like, last season they won 50 games. The season before they won 50 games. Like, they're, again, going to win, like, anywhere between 48 to 52 games. Mm. I don't see 60 wins on them. I can see Boston so, uh, overachieving a little bit, though. It might be like a, like a Isaiah I, Thomas situation. Okay. I want to see Boston find a guy over 6'7 that's not Ennis Cantor or Taco Fall, who I both respect. Right, Muslim brothers. Yeah, for rap, sure. Rap. But like they, they don't have anyone over six seven. Let's see what Gordon Hayward can do. I'm not that worried about Boston. Indiana, Oladipo is probably like likely not going to be back for the beginning of the season. And even if he's back, it's going to take him at least thirty games to get back into like rhythm. Like from pretty awful injury. Like we saw Chris Middleton, I think, come back from something similar the season before. Yeah, but Chris Middleton was never explosive. You know what I mean? Like Oladipo yeah. needs to be explosive. Like, he needs to be quick with everything. And Oladipo a lot smaller than Middleton, right? Yeah. So without Oladipo, they've lost Bogdanovich and they lost Thad Young, 
who are two like guys who could create offense if you needed to. That's true. Thad Young to a lesser extent. So now their best offensive creators are Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, and like a pick and pop for Sabonis. Oh, TJ Warren, baby. Oh, TJ. Oh, yeah. That's TJ right. Warren. Yo, TJ Warren is. Uh, okay. People hyped up TJ Warren a little bit too much, man, because people were like, oh, man, I can't believe Phoenix traded a pick to get rid of him. And that's true. Yeah, you shouldn't have given him a pick. Good. He's like really not good. He's like 2012, 2013 DeMar DeRozan. You know what I mean? Like when he's DeMar like, DeRozan man, was playing Rudy like Gay, that's what that's what TJ Warren is. Yeah, he is he's really a selfish. Black hole, man. Yeah, like yeah. anyways, TJ Warren aside, like that team's not an that team's not made to win a lot of games in 82 games just out the gate cuz they're like it's going to take them a while to figure it, like once everyone gets healthy. So I don't think they're going to have like a great regular season record. Like it's not. I think they're going to be around forty six to forty eight wins. Mm. And then you're looking at Brooklyn with Kyrie. Okay, Brooklyn could go like either way, KD. but they're also short without on KD, base a little bit. They're probably maxing out at a fifty. I think they're maxing out at a fifty win team. Again, I want to see who's going to defend on that team now because they've lost a couple defenders. DeAndre Jordan, um, baby. Oh my god! Yeah, so let's see what DeAndre Jordan shows up. But yeah. like no, they're probably maxed out at a defend. fifty win team. And then, like, who else are we talking about now? Like, we're oh, Orlando, basically the East. But Jimmy Orlando. Butler, Orlando. Okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe Jimmy Butler heat a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Jimmy Butler team's like, kind of topped out as 50 last wins. Year, Orlando's offense last year was literally carried by Terrence Ross doing really, really well off screens in a contract year. Let's mm. see. I love, I love Terrence Ross, but let's see what he does not in a contract year. All right, let's see if Aaron Gordon can do anything. Aaron Gordon's good, man. Don't slant Aaron Gordon. I like them in the He's playoffs. solid. He is solid. Yeah, he's a solid does. player. I want him to see him on a good team. But again, like that team again looks like a forty-five win team to me. Yeah, I mean the whole East is like a. Four, Vuce- I don't really. I can't confidently I say to, like. I love to see. I want to see Vucevic not in a contract year. Yeah, because <laughs> he's had two good seasons. Both were in contract years. They fell off a cliff. I can't. So does the thing. I can't actually guarantee you that any team other than the Bucks are going to win more than fifty games in the East, like on paper. You know what I mean? And that's why I think yeah. there is confidence in the, the Raptors. Raptors. I, I do 100% guarantee over the 50 Raptors on paper are guaranteed over 50. If this team stays together, okay. again, that's it. On paper right now, this team is a 50, greater than 50-win team. There's enough proven talent and enough continuity that that team is easily going to win 50 games Yeah, as an Eastern Conference team. My concern with the Raptors, I mean, we kind of laid it out through the podcast, but there, there's the trade possibility, which is you know a factor you got to factor in, because I don't think you would let all these guys walk for nothing. It's just not great asset management, to be honest. Um, there's that, and then also the team's a little bit old in terms of just who they need to rely on, and also a little bit too young in terms of who is consistently proven to be able to contribute. So from that perspective, I have them. I, I, I see I, like a best case scenario. I could see Raptors like maybe finishing too, like you say, but like you know. Real, if I'm going to be realistic about it, it's probably like, you know, like 50 is uh, would be a really solid year for Raptors if they got 50 wins. But who knows, man? Kyle Lowry, the regular season with uh w- with his track record is is pretty pretty damn hey, good. Contract year, Kyle Lowry, yo, get that money, baby. Kyle Lowry going to come back in ridiculous shape. I really hope so. I really hope so. He's going to be playing in China and stuff. That's crazy, man. He wants his last. He wants his last last two year forty million dollar contract. He's coming, brother. Oh my god. Honestly, he's probably still worth that. 
No, hundred percent. Just I the charges alone. So that's char- the charges is five mil a year. Um, the yeah. one hundred three pointers is another five mil. Actually, that's the one thing I hope Kyle stops. Just stop taking charges this year. We don't no, need that. No, bro, we need the charges. Sacrifice, man. sacrifice someone else. We need the sacrifice charges. Someone else for the charges. No one else takes charges like him, man. Fred, yo, Fred, better look, Fred. Guys. Oh, Marcus all does. Yo, yo, use Marcus all for the charges. Just yo, Mark, take charges. All right, use your twenty five million for good. Um, <laughs> let's keep Kyle not taking charges. I him. I like him to slow down. All right, fair enough. Um, yeah. All right, well, that's that's what you can look forward to next season. Um, you know, throughout the summertime, in terms of what you can look out for there. So I'm going to be away on vacation, actually, for the next week and a bit. Um, so this is why the podcast is coming out uh, on Monday instead of the customary Tuesday spot. Um, so the podcast will continue throughout the summer. It'll be a weekly show. Um, we'll talk things like FIBA. We'll talk, honestly, it, it might be more expanded topics than just you know, solely fixing on the Raptors, but you know, uh, just continue to look out for content. I mean, we're still going to be as much as we can, uh, in terms of even in a downtime, just, you know, pumping out the content, uh, here at Yahoo sports can, especially with the Raptors. So look out for that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, we might have a couple of weeks where it's a little quiet, but you know, we'll be back. We'll be back for sure. Asad, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, Follow him at Swar Lasers. Any, anything else to plug? RR Tournament. Oh, yeah. Yo, reach the RR Tournament and watch me give people buckets. Yo, Asad really we'll lives that life. give you buckets, man. Not maybe one, two buckets at most. Yo, if the Raptors need like a like a Boris Diaw type, I'm here. <laughs> Yo, I mean, when you if stood Danny up beside Green, six, Danny six, Green. I'm 6'6", six, six, dog. Yo, when you stood up beside Danny Green, and Danny Green got the hair and like the hat and stuff, like, you know... Yo, ass dude, Danny man. Green was surprisingly smaller than I thought he'd be. I was like, damn, I think I could post you up. Yo, you're relax. tiny. Relax, bro. Relax. Dog, I think I have 45 pounds, 50 pounds on Danny Green. Let's I mean, see the, what happens. That I don't doubt, but like the <laughs> the, the posting of Danny Green, I, I'm still, I don't know, man. I don't know. But um, but yeah, aside, I hope you enjoy your summer. I hope you enjoy some time off, Um, hopefully, and see your family and stuff like that. But uh, it was good seeing you the other night, by the way. Shout out to shout out the rec room. Shout out yeah, hoop talks. Great stuff. Yeah. So you got a basketball, milk carton, things like that. So and shout yeah. out to Will Lou, Will Lou, celebrity. If you see him on the streets, ask for a picture. Yo, what was that? What was that about? Why? Why? Why were you and Josh uh, my publicists for the for the night? Yo, you got to give the people what they want. Damn, that's true. That is true. I, that's something I'm, I'm trying to learn to live with a little bit. To be honest. Hey. Yay, y'all don't respect Will Lou, but people love Will Lou in the streets, okay? We took, like, that shit is crazy. pictures for, like, five or six different people with Will Lou. They really love the guy. I re- I appreciate it, man. The, the love is incredible. I think, honestly, just going on YouTube and just, like, hey, this is what I look like in real life, like, it's just increased the visibility of the whole thing. And I think that's sort of yeah, people, expanded the magnitude. People, people are like, People see on YouTube, damn, his head's massive. Yep. Then they see it in person, like, oh crap, that must be him. <laughs> yeah, Danny took that selfie on stage, and like my head was like eighty five percent of the picture. <laughs> you can't even see the crowd, man. So, um, no, seriously, it was a great time. Um, thanks to Hoop Talks for putting that event out there. Obviously, shouts to Harrison for bringing me on the show, and Danny was great. Phil was great. It's, it sucks that they're going to LA, but uh, it is what it is. And um, yeah, that's it. This is it, man. Uh, I'll talk to you sometime later on. And in terms of the podcast, it'll be back next Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure, but it'll be back.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.